0: Hello, Harry. Hello, love. Oh, how are you?
1: Ah, isn't that sweet of me?
0: Friends, my back went out a few weeks ago. I'm in middle age now. It did that annoying thing where you tweak it and then I hit the deck. I was—I mean, we were all laughing because I could barely get out of a chair. It was a comedy routine to get up. <laughs>
1: well, and Harry,
0: you were so good to me for two and a half days.
1: Two and a half days. I, I treated you well. That was a roll. I was on a roll. Yeah.
0: But, but then the role ended.
1: Yes, it did.
0: What, and oh. I think your words after two and a half days were,
1: <laughs> quit worrying about it, get up and walk. Get up and walk.
0: You took my cane from me.
1: I hid it. I hid your cane. You what? didn't need it anymore. Well, it was time to
0: get moving. You like to get things done. I do. Let's do this.
1: Let's get it done.
0: Welcome to Just Over the Fence, a podcast featuring backyard conversations with friends and neighbors. We love this chance to get to know our friends a little better, and we, we're excited for you to get to know them, too. Absolutely. Harry, speaking of getting things done, today's guest gets things done.
1: Yes, he does. Period. He gets things done in excellence. Yeah, he's a dear friend and and uh, an incredible business leader.
0: Retired CEO of First Data, the corporation that, well, they own Western Union. They run credit card transactions for retailers. He's had a remarkable career. He's f- full of wisdom. There are a bunch of one-liners he has that are famous at our house.
1: And he's a straight shooter. mm mm-hmm. Loves his family, and, uh, um, and guess what? What? He has a story about Garth Brooks' guitar. And how do we know Charlie?
0: Well, he's married to a very good friend of yours and yeah. ours.
1: Yes, he is. Yeah, we love the entire Fody family, but Charlie and Kaylin are just um, a couple that you and I look up to. They've worked hard, they've been generous, and talk about the gift of hospitality. woof they have it and then some. So we will explore a little behind the scenes with Charlie Fody. The rest of the world knows him as the retired CEO of First Data.
0: Charlie Fody, just over the fence. Here we go. How did you end up with Garth Brooks' guitar?
2: He did a show. He was, he was uh, super. And then they, it was a charity event, and they auctioned off his guitar after the show. Because I'm so proud of that guitar, I bid it up and I ended up owning the guitar. <laughs> right. And then they gave me a different guitar. They said, you can't have the one he played on. You got to have a look-alike. And I said, I don't want the to look alike. I want the guitar he played on. (laughs) So for the price I paid, it took about 20 minutes. But they got me the one he played on. It smelled like him. By that time, he was pretty sweaty. (laughs) And then he wanted to autograph it. So I said, you got to put on there to all my grandkids. His staff said, he'll never write that. I said, well, then I don't want the guitar. So on this guitar that's full of sweat, it now says to all my lovable grandkids, Garth Brooks. So that's how I ended up with this Garth Brooks guitar. Mm. Negotiation. Well, it's it's a little bit of uh, negotiation. What what happens when you negotiate is you ask for something you know you're never going to get. And I'll tell you what, about 15% of the time you get it. And the rest of the time you just go back and forth until you get something that uh, you can live with.
1: I've heard tell that even at Sears going out of business sale you may have negotiated
2: <laughs> well let's face it they weren't in a strong position <laughs> so oh, I, that is good i think the deal you're talking about is uh i bought a lawn tractor i didn't need the lawn tractor but i started to negotiate on it and i ended up buying it and it ended up with one of my grandkids in nebraska and now he's making a living running this lawn tractor around paxton nebraska
1: Speaking of Paxton, Matt and I were on our way down I-80 a few years back, Yeah, heading to Iowa to see our family, and I swung off an exit in Paxton, and wanted to show him where the future Anne Marie's would be, and saw a truck out there, and went inside, and you were inside. (laughs) The old
2: depot. (laughs) Yeah, that's another story. Paxton had a train depot that was about 140 years old. Yeah. That was really falling down. It's, almost, <laughs> it's the worst piece of building I ever saw in my life. And my daughter-in-law said, you know, we should buy this thing and fix it up. And I'm telling you, I, I wouldn't have spent $2 on the thing. We ended up owning it is what happened with my daughter-in-law. And then we redid it. It cost more to redo it than we paid for it. And we got 26 acres of land full of old TVs and bathtubs. And it was just a junkyard. And we had to clean that up. And she turned into 26 acres of uh, aronia berries. So now the family has an old train depot, 26 acres of aronia berries. And then uh, um, there was an old granary on the other side of the railroad tracks. And she moved that over. So now she has a nice breakfast, lunch restaurant and uh, an antique shop and a beautiful old train depot. Yeah. And then she bought a winery in town, and uh, she bought something else in town. So I think there's seven buildings in Paxton, Nebraska. And my lovely daughter-in-law, Leah, owns four of them. Nice. I think
0: for us, you know, you're a well-known and respected leader, a CEO. But you also get things done yourself with your hands. You were inside this building starting the renovation.
2: Oh, yeah. When I grew up, I used to... uh, Build buildings and patios, and, and in fact, we built some houses. It was just fun working with them. I still do it today. I still go out and do jobs, and uh, mostly in the family. I don't get paid, uh, although they should pay me premium dollar if they had to pay. Right. Anyhow, we have a we have a good time doing it. Charlie, where did you grow up? Grew up back in Connecticut, right outside of Hartford.
0: How did you end up in Denver?
2: Well, how much time you got? I I got all day. I I started in Connecticut. It was back in the late 60s. I was working. uh, I was going to school and working for a bank part-time in the credit card business. When credit cards were brand new, I mean, MasterCard and Visa didn't exist. And uh, I worked at a bank called Connecticut Bank and Trust. Oh, for about uh, two years, part-time, because I was going to school during the day. Then I got recruited by a firm in Omaha, Nebraska. But in the meantime, I moved up to Boston and ran a credit card business for a bank. And this company, it's called First Data Corp. And uh, they were big credit card processors. And their expansion from Omaha was to Atlanta. So they recruited me up in Boston. And I moved to Atlanta and we opened up that branch. And I lived there for two years. And then uh, we opened up a branch in San Mateo, California. So I went there for two years. And then they wanted me to run a business in Omaha. And then they wanted me to run a business in Denver, so I moved to Denver. And then they wanted me to run a business in Omaha, so I moved back to Omaha. And then they wanted me to run a business in Denver, so I moved back to Denver. And now I'm in Denver. My uh, wife I met in Denver, so you know I'm not leaving Denver. That's the rest of the story.
0: (laughs) Understood. So you got in on the credit card business as it was just really beginning
2: oh yeah yeah when i got in the credit card business mastercard and visa didn't exist by brand they were local credit cards and then they uh, grew up to what you know now is visa and mastercard and american express was always around in fact american express bought first data in 1980 sold it off to the public in 83 and then i think they bought it back in 87 and then we went public i think in 1992.
0: You eventually became the CEO of First Data.
2: Yeah, yeah. Over time, they put me in charge of First Data. It was a great company. We had thirty-six to 38,000 employees. When I joined, we were worth about $11 million. When I left, we were worth about $11 billion. So it was a good run.
0: To give a sense of First Data's scope, I mean, my understanding is they run the credit card transactions for Walmart. Oh, yeah. Uh,
2: First Data has got, uh, they got their hands in all the big retailers and And when I was here, we had about 4 million small retailers. We had about uh, 300,000 agents uh, because one of the companies we owned was Western Union and Telecheck. We did business in 200 countries and territories.
0: So you got into uh, the credit card business kind of as it was beginning. If you were to talk to somebody getting started in their career today, what's the business of the future to you?
2: I don't know if I have the answer for the business of the future. I think I know the ingredients that are going to be in the businesses of the future. But the businesses that have physical attributes to them, you're never going to do online. I mean, I, I can't get a two-by-four delivered in my house off my PC. So you'll have more digitized interaction with the inventory. There'll be a lot of electronic interfaces and in everything you do. But what you have to make sure of is you don't lose um, the interaction of human relationships. I'm getting a little, going off on a little tangent, but what I see today are the young folks, and I'm talking about young young executives, have very little skill sets on human interaction. And as we keep growing, because this country will continue to grow, we got to put a stake in the ground on the electronicism, if I can get away with that word, that we're leaning towards. Because with all the issues we're having as a country today, and, you know, right now we're going through this virus crisis and uh, and we're going through economic uh, issues that come directly from from the crisis, at the end of the day, you always got to look for the answer. And then you manage to the answer. And at the end of the day, what we have today is a bunch of panic going on That's not has no traction to it. It's folks in the media, and the blacks and the whites and the Latinos and all of us going on. And I'm I'm putting myself in us because I'm a minority here too. That that's creating no traction and there's no success to the end game. It's just a bunch of BS that's going on right now. What we need to do is put a stake in the ground, not a rope. Don't move the stake manage to the stake, and, you know, on the way you're going to have some ups and downs. You know, what's the solution? When it comes to the virus, we got to manage the spreading of it. That's the answer. What do you have to do to get to the answer? As far as the success in business, we need to open the retail locations. They they have to be open. I'm talking about food eat, I'm talking about clothes you buy, shoes, you name it and... Uh, we need to have the inventory being purchased to make sure the, uh, the uh, economy is strong. How do you manage through that? I don't know the answer, but I know that people are going to work in offices and not catching the virus. I think the people that are being nonchalant are the ones that are causing the problem. If you're, if, if you're in an environment where you, can, you think you're vulnerable to catching the virus, then you got to manage through that. You know, we got the smartest people in the world in this country. Put them all in the same room throwing bananas every morning and say you're not coming out till you have an answer. And that's a solution. <laughs>
1: there so. you go. I like it, Charlie. So, we know you as a great business leader, mentor, friend, your friend to us, but the world knows you as that one of your gifts that is over the top, you and your wife Kaylin is hospitality. Who was your leader in this? Who who taught you what you know? Was it all self pull up your bootstraps, or were there a few people out there that you looked at and went, yeah, I want to move towards that?
2: Well, you know, when I started in business, I was young. I mean, I was 21. And I started small, small groups, and you get to know people. I think the first company I ran, we had 11 people. You know, when you you hear about companies and they draw their organization charts, for example, and I had a big company I ran, And the companies I thought that failed or didn't grow as fast as they could or or are weak competitors because of their people is they always drew organization charts that they had boxes. And I said, okay, here's the kind of person I want in human resources. And here's a person I want running accounting. And here's a person I want running data processing and sales and so on. And they always hired to the box. Well, you know, all of us have weaknesses. So if you're 85% great at what you do and 15% bad and you're running human resources, you're a failure. So what I always try to do is hire real smart, good people and put the box around them and a strong HR person at HR. If they're weak on the data processing side of HR, the data processing guy had to have some HR in him, and he would help out human resources. Mm. And that would run through the organization. So you had, a, you had more of a family mm. rather than silos, because if they do overlap somewhat, then they're compassionate for each other and the problems the other person is having or the entire organization could be having.
0: I was just thinking of an interview I just watched with uh, Trisha Yearwood, Garth's wife. She had recorded an album of Frank Sinatra tunes and was talking about the producer, Don Was, and how he has all the details taken care of, but his main gift is getting the right people in the room and then staying out of the way, let them do their thing.
2: Um, let me tell you, we, uh, we used to do some things that uh, um, people said we couldn't get done. It wasn't able to get done. No one would allow you to do those things, and we did them a couple times, and there were big changes to the, and uh, in, in, in one example is the credit card world. In, in the old days, you could only belong to MasterCard or Visa if you were a bank. And that broke down over time, and we created a duality, which said merchants could belong to both Visa and MasterCard at the same time through their banks, and the banks then could belong to Visa and MasterCard at the same time. Um, that was a big, big change back in the mid 80s. Another thing we uh, invented was the nine digit zip code and people said that could never be done and uh, that was created I think in the late 80s. But those were walls that folks said we could never get through and the team just went away, figured out how to do it and we we did them. So the zip plus four, that came from from the credit card industry. We ran the database for zip plus four. That was our program.
0: Can I ask another question kind of looking back? When I asked about, you know, somebody getting started now, if you were to look back on your career when you got started, what would you tell yourself when you were 30, in your 30s, knowing what you know now?
2: Knowing what you Um, know Don't doubt the end game. When you come up with something, you always know the answer. And you can get a group of people in the room that are smart enough to help you get to the answer. And don't give up on the answer. And then everything you do in between is just managing the ups and downs of getting to the answer. It might be people, it might be systems, it might be the government, it might be the financial world. Um, How is Wall Street gonna treat you and so on as you're getting to the answer. But if your goal, the end game it's pretty achievable and don't make it easy because everyone else will follow you then make it difficult so you can't be competed against with any kind of uh, with any kind of respect from the other companies you'll win you'll win you might have some there might be some trauma on the way but you'll end up winning
1: one of the marks of a great leader that we all know is you never ask anybody to do something you're not willing to do yourself you in first data i know you've shared with Matt and I, that you, you would pick up the phone. How did you keep your pulse on the enormity of the amount of people that worked for you and your business?
2: Well, I used to sleep on the road three days a week. And I traveled all over the world because we had business in 200 countries and territories. So you had to see the customers and the employees. Well, they were so happy, I mean both, customers and employees, when you visited with them. And I couldn't get to 200 a year, but let me tell you, um, when you got to a community, and they got to see you. They thought the company was closed, no matter how big we got. Oh yeah, well let me tell you, you hear some stories from me. You couldn't believe. One day I'm at lunch with a customer, and this was a huge deal. We were trying to buy a company, and it was in the billions of dollars. We, could, we were there was some thin point we were on. It was it was a seemed like a miter point, but it, it was plus or minus four hundred million dollars. So I'm at lunch. I grab my phone. I call the office. And I want the head of accounting because I want to understand one issue here because there's $400 million on the table. And I got voicemail. Now, this is an executive VP who has an assistant, and I get voicemail. Now, I'm in charge, I thought. So then I call the head of data processing, and I got his voicemail. Now, he has an assistant. And then I call the head of HR just to see if you can go run down the people I can't get all hold of. And I got his voicemail. So, like four phone calls I made, and I got heaven. I mean, I got nothing until I get to heaven. So, (laughs) it's a $400 million deal. So, I made a decision, which happened to turn out to be the right one, and it benefited us $400 million. So, I got back to the office after lunch, and I went into the head of communications in the building, and I said, uh, Disconnect voicemail. And the guy said, You can't disconnect voicemail. We all use. I said, Did you hear me? You disconnect that voicemail right now. Well, when can you turn it back on? I said, when I tell you. And it might be a month. It might be a year. I don't know when it's going to be. But if I can't talk to people that work for me, it's gone. Because what do we need it for if I can't talk to anybody? It's a one-way conversation. So we turned it off. And, I mean, we turned it off, and it was panic. So, you know, when you're in a big building and a big company, and we hooked up the company this way, when you want to get a hold of someone – You can just dial their extension or you can call them from the outside. So here's what happens with the voicemail story. I get, I used to get in about five o'clock every morning and do business on the East coast. And so I got there early. So I used to call people on the extension line and they'd pick up the line right away, or I'd make my phone look like an outside line and I'd call and I wouldn't get an answer. Now you know the people that call from the outside are probably your customers that are paying your salary. So voicemail got disconnected for about seventy days, and then people understood wow. the issue, and then everyone seemed to love answering their phone.
1: While we're on the voicemail topic, what do you think about emails?
2: Uh, I don't have an email address. I hate emails. People hide behind emails. They hide behind voicemail. They're worse behind emails, or they'll even send you bad news on an email. And they'll call you only for good news on a phone. Well, those are wimps. So you don't email? No, no, I don't email. The only time I'll even text is to answer a text. I will never send a text.
0: Back to that human connection you've been talking about.
2: Well, listen, that's what uh, has made us great. You
0: mentioned in that last story that you ended up that you made the right decision. You've made a lot of right decisions in your career, but part of success, there are failures along that path. What can you say to
2: failure as a part of the path to success? Um, put the stack of all your failures and successes together, and you'll learn from both sides, and just go on. Make sure you uh, uh, reward the people that got you there. And it always gets on to the people. I can't reward a machine, you got to reward the people.
1: Amen. Talking about music and arts, I'll bring that up for a second. Um, We touched on Garth and the guitar, but I happen to know you have an appreciation for the arts and music.
2: I used to play the violin when I was younger. I got into that because my dad played at Carnegie Hall when he was 13. He played a solo at Carnegie Hall, but uh, I just like music. I like to listen to music.
0: Charlie, you've worked very hard in your career a lot of years, but I wonder how uh, how do you relax?
2: Uh, I You know, I like golf. I like uh, building things and screwing around mechanically with engines and so on. But I don't know that I relax, you know. What difference does it make? It's just you go full blast your whole heart, your whole life. You, your heart won't let you stop. So, I, you know, I don't put a lot in that. A lot, a lot of people talk about retirement and it's easy and so on. I'm as busy now as when I was working, you know. I was talking to a friend of mine today, he's 75, he's a good-sized developer, and I said, well, when are you retiring? He says, I'm not, I'm never going to I'll die in a job. So I don't know where this issue of retirement came from. Who picked an age to retire? Totally agree. Right? Mm -hmm. I'm 71, and I don't feel like I'm ready to retire. Mm -hmm. You know, like, what retirement? I don't know what retirement means. I don't know who does. Instead of retirement, you know, you you love what you do and you, you, you keep going. Now, don't integrate retirement or non-retirement with being successful. If you can't contribute I and mean, if your skill set or your mind or your heart can't contribute, don't do it. Pick things you like and concentrate on those. So the things I'm working on now still revolve around the payment business, which was a credit card business, and now because of my lovely son and daughter-in-law, they revolve around farming and ranching. So those two fit together, right? But I kind of contribute to that a little.
0: Absolutely. We we have a friend, you know, Tony. He talked about being on a, I don't know, it was like a board or something with you.
1: Around and, a table.
0: Yeah, around a table and financial papers were handed out. And he said, "You should you should know this about Charlie. We're all kind of looking at these financial papers, trying to see what's going on and Charlie just zeroes in, he's like, here's your problem, right here. When did you realize you had a gift for that? It's, it's a mix of the numbers, but also the leadership quality to know, here's the big picture.
1: And, and the guts, frankly, to say,
2: here it is. Let me tell you what happens, in, uh, everyone has their egos, and you go in the meetings, and you're talking about big deals, and people come in with a 50 to 70 page document of what they want to communicate. And believe it or not, in business, it always gets on the money. I don't care what the issue is, all business decisions are made on money. And that doesn't mean you're doing moral things. You just might not do things when the financial part doesn't make sense. So I would always go to the financial section of a presentation and look at that first. Because no matter how good this story was, if the numbers don't work, you got a problem. You know, I was in charge, right? So people really couldn't tell me what to do but I always go to the financial sec- section. I'd say, are these the numbers? Well, yeah, those are the numbers, but you got to hear the first 70 pages. I said, by the time we get to page 50, this thing is bankrupt. So don't change the numbers. Change the story to get there, which means you got to change your business approach to this thing. And typically, they never showed up again. So it was spending someone else's money.
0: Hey, let me ask about a leader in your career that you admire? Because a lot of people look up to you. Who's someone you in your career
2: looked up to?
1: Especially early on.
2: There was a, when I worked at the bank for four years, there was a guy, his name was Dick Graham and, and he was my boss. He was a VP of uh, the consumer side of the bank. So he had at least all the lending side. And uh, the guy was low keyed, but he never lost the answer he would listen. As forceful as I can be, I always listen to people's responses. Normally they would come as presentations, and then I'd ask questions, and I'd listen to their responses, and you'd learn from that. And Dick used to listen, and he'd say, do it. And if I thought people were not just sincere, if they had their smarts on the other employees and the shareholders in the community, I'd say go forward. If they were lacking any of those, you know, I just shot it.
0: Teresa mentioned how you are, it's, it's always encouraging to talk to you. Um, you have this line you'll often close out a phone call with, make it a great day. That's Why become fa- That's famous at our house, make it a great day.
2: Well... You got to do it. You know, everyone says, have a nice day. I said, what does that mean? Have a nice day, <laughs> right? Make it a great day. You're the one in charge. No one else is in charge of your life than you or you. You're right. I'm telling you, your love for each other, you're in charge of. That's why I say you make it a great day. It's almost a charge, right? It is a charge.
0: Charlie, I have a time machine right here. You can go back in history and have lunch with anybody in history. Who would it be? Who would you talk to?
2: Um, sounds corny. Uh My wife, Kaylin. She's smarter than I am. She's very close to the Bible and God. She's stubborn as all hell. Puts her feet in the ground and don't, it's like the old set of golf spikes, don't kill because they won't move. I've known her for 39 years. But the first time in, uh, I met her was in a meeting and she, talking about digging her feet in, she had her finger up pointing at one of my executives, screaming at him. And I said, I like this woman. And then, uh, I don't know, then, then we ended up getting married. But it all didn't happen that fast, but it was pretty short. It was a pretty short <laughs> relationship before we got <laughs> married. But um, if I had it all over again, she would be my uh, business metric because she didn't move an inch on anything. That and she was smart enough to get to the right answer. She was embarrassing a lot, but because <laughs> she, I said, I said, I said to her, "I can't believe you're yelling at this guy. We're paying you for this treatment." But uh, yeah, that I would, I would go uh, back, back to her. Uh, she was. I learned a lot from uh, her strength.
0: Let me ask just maybe one more quick ask question. Me anything.
2: If I can't answer it, I'll tell you. Yeah.
0: This podcast is just over the fence. And one of the things we like to ask everyone is, what's a thought or an idea or a piece of wisdom you'd like to throw out over the fence into the world, something you wish people knew today?
2: I wish people, you know, right now it's, a, it's an easy time to talk about this because we're having so many issues. I wish people would come to solutions, theoretic solutions on the issues we're having as a country. We need to have solutions. People say you sit down and you talk to each other. And say, Listen, put a bunch of smart people in a room. They'll come up with the solutions. Then we need to figure out how to manage them. And don't put any elected officials in the room. I'm just telling you, don't put any of them in the room because all they care about is getting reelected. And by the way, I wouldn't put any college professors in the room. Just get smart uh down to earth business people. Charlie, thanks a million for coming over and talking. Um, well, I hope you get five minutes out of it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we might get seven. All
2: right, good. Yeah.
0: Okay. We appreciate you and your family and thank you for. Uh, oh, shoot. All well, you, you
2: guys do. are great. I'm glad you're friends.
0: Well, we told Charlie <laughs> this would be a quick conversation, but when you've got Charlie here, it's like. I, I wow. want to keep hearing these stories. Yeah. What a
1: wealth of knowledge. And I, you've said this before. Charlie has a way of taking a the big picture and narrowing it down to um, simple solutions.
0: I just kept noting over and over. It's all about human connection Yes. in person. He doesn't email.
1: No, he doesn't even have an email.
0: He does not have an email He's address. never had
1: one. Yeah. Never sent an email. Yeah. Wow, and an incredible leader with incredible wisdom. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, what's what's after that, Matt? What what else can we say? <laughs> Where hey, do we go from there? Well, we can
0: thank Keith.
1: <laughs> oh, we totally can thank Keith. Wow, she, she this, brought over
0: some treats, and uh, this
1: week was black forest cupcakes mm-hmm. for our guest Charlie and the Fody family and um, Ube. There's this. Uh, Filipino um, yam that is purple. Keith, let me know if I'm wrong about this this week, but um, there's no sugar in these. So they're pretty healthy and sweet and and they're purple. They're Mm. cute too.
0: Yeah. So thank you, Keith. It's me, Keith, on Facebook. You can find her. She'll deliver.
1: She'll deliver. Dinner for the family. Yeah. We love it when she delivers here because we get to see our grandkids. (laughs)
0: It's me, Keith. Thanks, Keith.
1: Thanks, Keith. And thanks, Charlie.
0: Harry, you've you've always said that one of our aspirations with the podcast is to reach the artistic soul. And I loved hearing about that with Charlie today. The art of business. But the art always came back to people.
1: And relationships and trust. He formed teams and created an atmosphere um, where their skill sets overlapped which connected them to be a team. He built a team. Yeah.
0: So next month. Batter up. Well, speaking of art. Yeah. She is an artist, but she's also an expert.
1: We went hiking the other day, and we were walking beside water where there were turtles, and we could hear a frog. And um, one of her many gifts um, that we'll explore next month is, immediately she said.
0: Well, there she is.
1: There she is. Immediately she said, Frederick Beekner, and she named the poem that I still can't remember and sent it to me and we stood there and read it out loud in the atmosphere where it talks about the bullfrog croaking and and um, then she we pulled up a piece of art on our phones and she takes arts of all mediums and marries them together
0: can I say she's also a great encourager of artists Yes, I've been on the receiving end of that And it's made a difference for me. What's her name?
1: Sarah Goodyear. Not of the Goodyear Tire family, but of the Goodyear We Love Them Mm -hmm. incredible family. And we know you will, too. So keep on loving your neighbor just over the fence.
0: Make it a great month.